Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. To kick things off today, I have another parental advisory warning for you all. I'm going to talk about some things today that I wouldn't want uh, my four or eight-year-old kid hearing right now. So if you have birth through fifth graders in here, uh, those listening ears, I would strongly encourage you to check them into Collective Kids today. Uh, and if you need to do that, you can go ahead and do that right now. And while you do that, I'm going to talk to the parents of our middle and high schoolers for a second. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about some things that will feel a little too old for your kids, but I promise you that they are not. And if you are a parent and your kid is in this room with you today, whether that means you ignored my previous warning or you have middle or high schoolers, part of you sitting with them at Collective is choosing to leave here and have conversations about what we talk about in this room. So the promise that you are making to me is that you're gonna talk to your kids about the topics that are preached on and not just ignore them, no matter how uncomfortable they make you. Because your kids need to hear about these things, but more than anything, they need to be able to have conversations with you about them. And I trust that if your kids are in here, that you are going to do that. And today is one of those days where you will have to have that conversation. And so parents, I'm challenging you. Teenagers, honestly, I'm challenging you to bring it up. Make your parents feel, feel super uncomfortable today, okay? Just wanted to give you all fair warning as we jump in. So a few years ago, an article made its way around the internet that was about the list of requirements that the FDA has for our food. Now, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. They're responsible for protecting the public health when it comes to things like food and medicine and cosmetics. And the article was about how contaminated food is legally allowed to be per the FDA. Now, you may never eat again after this because here are some of the regulations that they have for us. In a 16-ounce can of tomatoes, something probably that you use from time to time, there can be up to two maggots per can, and it's still being deemed safe for consumption. So the good news is that there won't be three maggots in your spaghetti, just two. And I would just encourage you moving forward, just blend it immediately, okay? Like, don't even look anymore. Here's a few more. How many of you drink coffee? Uh, (laughs) Uh, Not anymore. Coffee can legally be packaged with up to 10% of the beans being moldy or infested with insects. Uh, Here's another one. This one's my favorite. The FDA allows for up to 20 nod kernels for each pound of pre-popped popcorn. And it doesn't say that it's mice or something else. Like, I just imagine, like, even humans doing it. But as long as it's 20 or less, you can totally eat that. It's fine. And then last one, in chocolate, one rodent hair and up to 60 insect fragments are permitted per 100 grams. Now, for context, 100 grams is a king-size candy bar. Now, this is not saying that there are 60 fragments of insects in the candy bars you are eating, but the FDA doesn't care until it gets to that point. And I really don't like the fragment term, um, because I think there's a pretty big difference between like a bug's leg and a bug's head. Uh, That might just be me. But the thing is, you read this list, and it's just gross. This is kind of disgusting. And when asked about this, the FDA said, 
that it's impractical for manufacturers to grow and harvest these products without at least some minor contamination. But does this feel minor? Right? This is pretty gross. And here's the thing. At some point, the FDA asked, how contaminated can it be before it's too contaminated? How impure can it be before it crosses the line? And while this is really gross when it comes to our food, here's the problem. We do the exact same thing with our own lives. Today, we're in week three of our Game Changer series, where I'm specifically challenging and encouraging the men of collective. And the reason why I'm doing this is because men are told in Scripture to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, to act like men, and to be strong. And so this series is about us learning how to act like men of God, not men of society, not men of our own desires, not men of our fathers, men of God, because when we do that, it is a game changer. And the positive impact is felt in our marriage, our homes, our children, our community, and this church. And today, as we continue this series, uh, we're going to dig deep by dealing with the sin that we are hiding in the depths of our souls and bringing it to light. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The word sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And for people who follow Jesus, the mark is set by God through the Bible. Scripture teaches us a better way to live, and when we choose our own way or society's way, we miss the mark. We sin. And there are consequences for that sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the cost of sin is death. And there is this spiritual death, but there's also a physical death that occurs as well in our lives when sin goes unchecked, unforgiven, and unaccounted for. Really, when we choose not to deal with our sin, the consequences can lead to the death of things that matter the most to us. It's the death of a marriage, of friendships, of self-worth, mental health, joy, peace, hope, all of it. And so if you are taking notes today, here's the first thing to write down. We all have sin in our life. It's universally true. We all fall short of God's standards. We all have sin in our life. But men, we have trouble admitting this, don't we? We have trouble acknowledging our sin because we're insecure. And we think if we're honest about the ways we fall short, people will think of us as a failure. They'll think that we're not good enough or that we're less than. And because we don't like to feel that way, we have a tendency to pretend like we don't sin at all. We try to downplay it. We say things like, I might lie every once in a while, but it's not as bad as murder. Or I might let my anger get the best of me from time to time, but at least I'm not having an affair. We do this, right? And sure, by society's standards, that's how we judge sin, but that's not how God sees it. Now, maybe we don't try to justify our sin by comparing it to other sin and comparing it to other people's sin. Maybe we do what the FDA does when it comes to our food. And we ask ourselves, how far can we go before it's actually sin? We ask, how far can I go with my girlfriend before it's too far? How big of a lie can I share before it's too big? How envious can I be of what other people have before it really makes an impact? But here's what we really do when it comes to our sin. We bury it, right, men? We just try to shove it deep down in our souls so that it doesn't see the light of the day, and we do everything we can to make sure no one finds out about it. Here's the problem with living this way, though. Jesus says in Luke 8, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open 
And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Over the last nine months, we've been recording this podcast called Your Story Matters. And the podcast is people sharing about real things in their lives. It's them being vulnerable and being real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. It's about how God has reached into the mess of people's lives and brought healing and hope and grace and restoration. And if you've been listening to the podcast, and specifically, if you've listened to the episodes where, where people share about how they essentially destroyed every good thing in their life, their stories always go like this. There was this sin in my life. I had an affair. I was a liar. I was addicted to sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And then they'll say, I did everything I could to keep it hidden, to keep it buried, to keep it in the dark, but I couldn't. And the sin I refused to deal with and I tried to keep hidden almost destroyed my life. And then you'll hear them say on every single one of these episodes, Eventually, everything gets brought into the light. So here's the second thing to write down today. Nothing in the dark stays in the dark. Nothing. No matter how hard we try to hide our sin, our brokenness, our mistakes, they will always be brought into the light. The sin that you are trying to hide from your spouse or your parents, your friends from yourself, and even from God will be brought into the light. And we try to spend our life trying to keep these things hidden. The cost is that we destroy ourselves, our faith, our family, our friends, and our health. And it still comes into the light anyways. Because nothing in the dark stays in the dark. And so, men, we have to deal with what's in the dark and the things that we are trying to hide. Men, you have to go face-to-face with your sin before your marriage falls apart before you lose the company, before you destroy every good thing in your life, or ultimately before it kills you. And if there's one type of sin that I've seen do the most destruction in men, and one that most men try to bury, it's sexual sin. And So we have to talk about this. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Paul wrote this in Colossians 3. He, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And what I think is really important about these verses, it talks about thoughts and action. Because a lot of us will try to justify what we're doing. Because they'll say, well, I didn't go that far with that person, but we're having that conversation. And Jesus makes, it very, Jesus makes it very clear that even if you look at that person the wrong way, you are sinning in your heart. I recently read a study that said that 99% of men have looked at pornography in their lifetime. And that other 1%, they're just liars who have looked at pornography. Another study found that there's virtually no difference in the monthly porn use of non-Christian men at 65% versus Christian men at 64%. Right? This isn't an out there issue. This is an everybody issue. The study found, though, that it's even worse among younger Christians. The same study found that 89% of Gen Z Christian men watch porn at least occasionally, 61% view it weekly, and 24% watch it daily or multiple times a day. That same study, men being honest, said that 51% were addicted to pornography. Addicted, not just casual. Three of the top 12 viewed websites every day are pornography. The average age of a child's first exposure to pornography is now 11 years old. But more and more studies are actually finding it's eight years old. And men, you know sitting in this room that that's not a shock to you. We hear the gasp from some people, but men, we know 
but that is the age. The most alarming thing that the study found was that children under the age of 10 now account for 22% of online porn consumption under 18 years old. Those are fourth graders, 22%. And listen, I know that this is an uncomfortable topic, so I will go first in being real about this. I don't remember how old I was when I was introduced to pornography, but I was very young. It was probably third or fourth grade. And once pornography entered my childhood, it didn't leave And by high school, I was absolutely 100% addicted to it. It was so bad. This was pre-smartphone days. It was so bad, I would set an alarm in the middle of the night to go downstairs to view it on my family computer. And it became this coping mechanism for me to help me numb my pain. And I carried this addiction into college where I did what a lot of people do, and I just shoved it deep down into my soul, but I never actually dealt with it. And because I never actually dealt with my sin, when I got married at 23, I brought that dysfunction into my marriage. And I had a very distorted view of intimacy because I learned about sex from pornography. And this led to an immense amount of shame and pain in me. This came out as anger and defensiveness and even more hiding. It pushed my wife away. She didn't know what was going on, but I was hiding more and more from her, and it started to wage destruction on our marriage. And then one day, about a year in, I realized that I could not bury this any longer because I was screwing up our marriage, and so I came clean. I admitted to her that I struggled with pornography through most of my life, and I knew that it was hurting her, even though she didn't know what it was. I knew that it was destroying our marriage, and that was one of the worst conversations I've ever had in my life. But bringing it into the light began the healing process for me, and the redemptive process for intimacy in our marriage. And some of you are like me, and you've brought a porn addiction into your marriage, and it is destroying your intimacy. It's putting up walls between you and your wife, and it's crushing her. She doesn't know that's where it's coming from, but she feels it. Men, some of you are allowing pornography to detach you from reality. Single men, some of you are bringing that addiction into your dating relationships and you are using women the same way that you are using porn. Students, some of you are creating habits now of ignoring that deeply painful feeling in your soul that you feel when you scroll through those websites at night that you know you shouldn't be and you are desensitizing yourself to the feelings of guilt and remorse that help you understand right and wrong. If you continue to go down that path, it's just going to get worse. And you will struggle to figure out what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is right for you and not right for you because you're desensitizing yourself right now. Men, if we are being honest and if you struggle with this, you are numbing and you are coping and you are using pornography to do it. And it is time to bring it to light. What that means for some of you is that you need to put filters on your phone. There's an app called Covenant Eyes. You should download it and it will filter out your content. Some of you, what that means is that you don't need a filter because you can figure out how to get around it. You need a dumb phone. And you need to be okay with the fact that when people see it, they think, I bet this person has a porn addiction because that is so much better than the alternative, to be honest. What that means for some of you is that you need to delete those pictures and those videos. 33% of the content downloaded on the internet right now is pornography, 33%. For some of you, that means you need to get off social media a few years ago, I was at a church planner's summit, and the guy teaching uh, was supposed to be talking to us about writing sermons and leading staff and managing budgets, but he pivoted really hard. And he started to talk to us about all the things that hinder him from leading well. And one of the things he brought up was Twitter. 
And he told us that he had deleted Twitter because he had recently found out that they don't have standards on the content that is shared. What this means is that Twitter doesn't care if it's explicit. It puts it on there anyways. And that is different than other social media apps, although it's not different than all of them. He said this was stopping him from leading, and he challenged us to delete it, and so I did. Because even though I had stopped seeking out pornography years earlier, there were times when I was scrolling through Twitter, and it would shift from football to sexually explicit images without notice. Men, if you have Twitter, you know this. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's a secret. You, you look up Baltimore Orioles, and four pictures later, it's a naked woman. And the thing that we have to understand is that Twitter understands this. They know what they're doing because they're trying to get men addicted to this app. And so what they do is they just slide porn in there as you scroll through. Some of you need to delete Twitter. And men, this isn't just about not going on those sites. This is about the fact that you have accessibility on your phone that you need to remove. And if you struggle with this, you have to be honest. You have to just delete those apps. Delete Twitter, delete TikTok. Neither of them have filters on the content that's on there. And they are trying to get you addicted to it. But he goes further than that. Some of you need to unfriend those women. You don't need to be friends with them on social media. You don't need to be following them. You don't need to just unfriend them. You need to block them because you don't need to see that crap. Some of you need to block those accounts, remove those accounts. Dad, if you have, dads, if you have teenagers, you need to do the same thing for them. Right? This isn't just about monitoring what they're looking at. Your kids are smarter than you when it comes to those phones. Right? I'm 37. I did not grow up with the internet in my hands. Our kids are. You think you know how to handle that phone. You don't. They know so much more than you, and you're just giving them full access to the world that they don't need to have full access to. One of the articles I read from the LA Times talked about kids looking at pornography on their phones, and the article said, it's taking a toll on our teenagers, but what choice do parents have? What do you mean, what choice do we have? Don't give them the phone. Right? And, and some of you, and just being honest, some of you as parents, you live that way. You give your kid a phone, you go, what choice do I have? You existed without a smartphone for a long, you made it out alive. You didn't get kidnapped, okay? You have a choice. And if you are gonna hand them that phone, then you need to monitor what they are looking at. You need to make sure that they cannot download apps. They should not know their iCloud password. They shouldn't. You should know it, and they should have to ask you if they're gonna download things. If they do have the phone, you need to monitor and filter what they see. And I know that society right now, for some reason, is currently arguing that pornography isn't harmful. It's this huge debate right now, but science and psychology back up scripture on this one, and that it hurts ourselves and it hurts others. Here's just some of what they have found recently. Pornography rewires our brains. The visual stimulus of pornography hijacks the brain's reward system and it overwhelms with unnatural prolonged dopamine levels. And the result is that our brains physically deteriorate in shape, size, and chemical substance. And this leads to things like depression, lower self-esteem, and shame. It also leads to addiction, isolation, increased aggression, distorted beliefs and perceptions about relationships and sexuality, and neglecting other areas of our lives. Studies have found that married couples with one spouse who watches porn regularly are two to three times more likely to be divorced within their first two years of marriage. They've found that one of the best predictors of divorce for a person is the depth of their porn habit. There are even huge physical impacts to porn use and that they've found that people who have prolonged addiction to pornography, that it leads to erectile dysfunction. 
40% of men in their 30s are struggling with this right now because of porn addiction. But, but this might be the most real reason for dealing with this sin. This comes from the book, Death of Porn, by Ray Ortland. He writes this. The use of pornography is nothing less than the willful abuse of real women who are image bearers of the creator. You don't care about the psychological issues or the physical issues. You need to care about the spiritual issues. And you need to bring it to light. It's not just about pornography, though. Over the past six years, I've been asked to officiate a bunch of weddings. And one of the things I do before agreeing to officiate is I have my assistant send out a document that outlines a few requirements. And the first thing that the couple must agree to is that they're going to do premarital counseling. I will not do a wedding if they don't do premarital counseling. But the second thing is that they cannot be sleeping together. And if a couple agrees, doesn't agree to those things, I won't do the wedding. It's part of the process. And over the years, some people have reached out and they've said, hey, we live together, but we're not sleeping together. And so I just write back, LOL, 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 because that's not true. And some couples have actually tried to convince me that what they're doing is okay. And by culture's standards, it is. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that we're to keep the marriage bed pure, that sex is for a husband and a wife inside of marriage. And everything outside of that is outside of God's design for sex and marriage. And we would call that sin. And so I'll sit down with these couples and have the incredibly uncomfortable conversation with them about sex and marriage. And I give them two options. They can have someone else do the wedding, you know, because they don't need me to do this. If they're asking me to do this, they're asking me to bring in what I bring here as well. The second option is they can get married right away. And I'm being serious about this. Here's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Scripture actually teaches us that if you don't have the self-control to not have sex with your girlfriend, you need to get married. And here's why I share this. First, it's because I know that some of you are gonna ask me in the next few years to your wedding and you're sleeping with your girlfriend, so I just need you to know up front the answer's gonna be no. Right? So you don't get your feelings hurt when you, when you get that email. Second, it's because I wanna challenge you men to do what God asks you to do. Either stop sleeping with her, if you don't have the self-control to do that, then you need to marry her. And women, uh, if he isn't interested in wifing you up, but wants all the benefits of intimacy with you, that is a red flag, and you know it. Right now on social media, there, there's these things that people are like, it's a gray flag, it's a beige flag. It's not. This is a red flag. Bring it to light. And maybe it isn't a sexual sin that you are hiding. Maybe there's a lie that you've buried deep down that if it saw the light of day could ruin your reputation, your job, and your ego. Maybe it's an addiction, and while it looks like you drink casually, you know that you can't go a day without alcohol, and it's slowly destroying your life, but you're hoping that nobody notices. Maybe it's your pride, and your pride is stopping you from letting go of some of the pain of your past that you need to let go of so that you can heal. I don't know, but whatever it is, it will not stay in the dark. It can't. And while you are afraid that it coming into light will hurt others or hurt yourself, just imagine how much more it's going to hurt five years from now when you have more on the line. So it is time to bring it to the light. The question is, how do we do that? There are three things in Scripture that I want to talk about today that help us deal with our sin. The first is that we need to confess it. We need to be honest about the sin that we are struggling with. Really, what we need to do is we need to call it out. And we have to tell someone about the pain, the sin, the trauma that is lurking in the depths of our souls that we are trying to hide. 
right? The things that we try to cover up and try to control and stop from getting out. We bring them to light and we do it on our own terms. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And I know that confession is an uncomfortable thing. I know that it is a heavy thing. And I know a lot of you grew up in the Catholic church and you have not had a good experience with confession. You sat in that dark room, you said all these things to a stranger, they told you something to do and you moved on, but you really didn't work through what was going on in your life. And I know that makes you uncomfortable. So here's what we're gonna do today. After service, when we finish the last song, there are gonna be a group of men standing in front of this stage that I trust. These are men who have been real about their stuff, who have brought their darkness into light and they are here so that if you need somebody to come and talk to, you can talk to them. They are here so you can have that first conversation about bringing those dark things into light. And I need you to know that they cannot forgive you of your sin. That's not their job. Only Jesus can do that, but they can help you. They can help you take this first step and they can pray with you. Man, I don't need to convince you that the sin you are hiding is bringing death. Don't hold on to it any longer. Bring it to light. And once we have confessed it, The next thing we do is we repent. The word repent means to change one's mind. It's the idea of changing the way we're thinking, of turning away from our sin, of getting off the path of pain and destruction we're living in and doing a 180 toward God. It's to change the way we are living. It's not just about saying this thing out loud, but it's saying, I'm saying this thing out loud so that I can become a different person. Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn from them, repent, they will receive mercy. You bring it to light and change the way you are living and God will show you mercy. Here's the third thing. If you've never been baptized, you get baptized. You take this next step. Acts 2.38 says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn toward God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts twenty two sixteen says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Right? Baptism isn't just about obedience and trust in God. Baptism is about the washing away of our sins. It's a spiritual cleansing. It's about forgiveness. And if you have never been baptized, you are missing out on the washing away of your sins that only Jesus offers. You are missing out on the putting to death the sin in your life so that you can be made new. That's the whole point of baptism, right? You're immersed in water. You put to death your old self, your sin and all your brokenness, and you're raised in to new life. Men, some of you need that. Some of you are doing everything you can to solve your own problems, and you know that you can't. And listen, I don't know what magic words uh, that you need me to say to help you understand how important this is. But if you have never taken that step, you need to. If you have never been made new, you need to. If you have never had your sins washed away, you need to. So let me ask you, Acts 22, what are you waiting for? You're waiting for a sign? Like, this is the sign. Do what God asks you to do. Now, for those of you who have been baptized before, 
You've been immersed in water. You chose it for yourself. You understood what you were doing. You don't need to get baptized again. Here's what you do. You hold on to your baptism. Romans 6, 3 says this, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Men, you confess and you repent, and then you hold on to the new life that Jesus offered and that you chose. You remind yourself that your sin isn't who you are, that you've been made new, that you've been forgiven, and you understand what grace is, where Jesus will forgive you again and again and again, just like he did last time. About two years ago, I noticed a small stain on the ceiling in our townhouse. And it looked like water damage, probably from our roof. And so I did what many people do, and I just ignored it. Um, And now it's the size of a dinner plate. And so every time I walk upstairs, I see this water damage, but I don't do anything about it. My wife notices, my kids point it out all the time. It's like, it's getting bigger. And I'm like, just shut up. Like, we're ignoring this right now. You know, when people come to my home, they ask, is everything okay? And I've realized that there are three ways that I can deal with this stain. Option one is that I can do a little drywall and I can paint over it, pretending like I don't have a leak in my roof until it shows up again in a few months. And then I can do a little drywall work and I can paint it again and again, pretend like I don't have a leak in my roof. Option two is I I could do a little drywall work, I can paint over it, and then we could sell the house and move to a new place and leave it on the new owner. This is your problem now. Option three is that I could do the hard work. I can get into my attic, I can see where the leak is coming from, and I can fix the leak. The thing is, I can't do this by myself, so I'm going to need somebody to help me because I am capable enough to diagnose the problem, but I'm not capable enough to fix it on my own. Now, which of the three is the better option? It's option three, right? It's not to pretend that we don't have a problem or to hand the problem off to somebody else. It's to deal with it. And the same is true when it comes to the sin that we have hidden in the darkness. Because the truth is, we think that it's hidden, but it's really not. It's impacting our marriage and our friendships. It's impacting our mental health, our faith, our kids, our self-esteem, our healing, our growth, and our relationship with God. And we think that no one can tell that there's some deep stain in our hearts, but it's noticeable and it's felt. And over time, it's just growing to grow bigger and bigger and bigger until it eventually brings death. So we can do the harder work, understanding that we probably can't do it on our own, so we need some help, or we can paint it over and again in the future paint it over and again in the future paint it over, maybe fixing it further down the line. Or we can patch it up quickly, and we can leave it onto the next person, which is what so many of our fathers have done to us. Instead of our fathers going head on when it comes to their own addiction and their own sexual sin and their own anger, they just handed it down to us, and they said, this is your problem now. We've been dealing with that since we were born. So men, what are you going to do? Are you going to act like men and do the hard work? Are you going to confess your sin? Are you going to repent of your sin? Are you going to have your sin washed away? Are you going to bring it to light? Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus came to set you free. 
free from your sin, free from your past, free from what you were handed down from your father. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he'll do it again and again and again, but only Jesus can truly change our lives. Only Jesus can truly save us from the wages of death that sin brings. Only Jesus can forgive us. But being forgiven is entirely up to you. Jesus will not make you love him. He will not make you choose grace. He will not make you choose forgiveness. The choice is wholly and fully yours. Listen, being a man of God doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Being perfect is not possible. But being a man of God means that we recognize that there are times that we fall short. There are sins that we need to let go of that are controlling our lives. And being a man of God means that we bring those things to light and we do the hard work to remove them. Because one of the most powerful things that we can do is that, that we can acknowledge that we are weak, that we cannot do this on our own, and that we need a savior, that we need God's grace and his forgiveness and his endless second chances so that we can live as men of God. Men, you do not have to be afraid of the darkness because when you bring God to those dark places, those places are no longer dark. My guess is that's what you need. My guess is that is what you want. Confess, repent, be baptized. Bring it to light and let Jesus do the rest. Let's pray. God, this is one of those uncomfortable conversations um, that deep down we know we all need to have. God, we know we need to deal with the dark things in our life. God, we know we need to deal with the sin in our life because we're watching it destroy us. God, we're watching it destroy the people that we love. God, we're watching it destroy our peace of mind and our mental health. We're watching it destroy our wives and our friends and our kids. But for some reason, we just have so much trouble dealing with it. We have so much trouble acknowledging that we are not perfect, even though we know we're not perfect. And so God, I just pray today is one of those conversations where we all move forward with the understanding that there is sin that we need to get rid of. God, that there are things that we need to confess. God, there are things that we need to repent of. God, that there are men in this room that need to fully put their faith in you and be made new through baptism. God, that this isn't just a conversation where they heard this one thing about this one topic. But God, that this conversation is one where it creates change, where men choose to do the harder work so that they can experience grace and new life and mercy and the beautiful things that you offer us. God, give us the courage to bring the things that are in the dark into light. Give us the strength to do that. And give us the grace to keep working on it. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.